Thanks for tuning in to the Bethany Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message helps you grow in your faith with Christ. If you'd like to find out more about what's going on at Bethany or GIF, you can visit us online at bethanysite.com or download our mobile app. Here at Bethany, we are all about three things, connecting people to God, to each other, and to the world. And as you just heard and will continue to hear, we had a ton of people that made that possible. For our students this last week, uh, we had John and Sarah, who you didn't hear from because she would have been whispering at us, and Pastor Stu, and a ton of other leaders that gave up so much time. They sacrificed so much. I think it's appropriate that we just thank them and honor them today. They gave up so much of their sleep. Uh, you know, all of us are back here. They were starting group, like their services at night about the same time that I like to go to bed. Um, so I'm glad they had an incredible time, though, and hearing those stories of life change is why we do it. That's exactly why we do it. And so we're so glad you're here as we continue in this series called To the Full. And here's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at that scripture that you just saw in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some translations say abundantly, some translations say the max, that our hope would be that we would live out a life that feels like it's abundant. And the first thing we did at the beginning of almost every service is just help you recognize that the ways in which the world around us would judge an abundant life and a full life is completely different from what we see in scripture. And look, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, But we're going to look at what the Bible tells us and what we believe is possible. Because we know that if we think about what the world says is a full life, is an abundant life, it includes things like uh, successful careers, adventure. One of the articles we shared said that the goal would be that you would live a life that had these elements that were Instagram worthy. And so we've looked at at all of these different studies and asked the question, what does it look like? What, what do we naturally think of when we think of an abundant life? And then how does God's word challenge us to, to think of that a little bit differently? And there was a study that, that was done. We've looked at a lot of local ones, but one of them was done that was worldwide. And they asked people this question. They asked them, what do you hope for for your kids, your kids to live a full life? And the three things that people highlighted were this, good health, career success, and adventure. That that's what they were hoping for for their kids. People all across the world were surveyed in this. Then they asked the same group of people, what's one thing holding you back from living a full life? 44% of people said that the only thing holding them back from a full life was finances. That if they had the money, that if they had the resources to live their life differently, then all of their problems would go away. And if we're honest, like this is a really natural feeling. This thought that that if we just could change the structure of our career or our income or something like that, that the rest of our problems would, would somehow kind of be alleviated as we go on over time. But we know and studies tell us that that's not the only thing. In fact, if you're here for the, the first time, I want to challenge that a little bit because what we believe, for those of us that made the decision to follow Jesus, is that there's something else necessary. That there is more to this life that there's more that we are called to, more that we set our eyes on, more that we we focus on as we move towards this idea of fullness, that, that there's this shift that we believe is possible that takes the attention off of ourselves and points it towards something else that takes the focus off of ourself. And so we've looked at that over the last couple of weeks in the idea of prayer. 
What does it look like for us to give our attention to God, to, to reach out, to connect with God? Or last week we talked about community. What does it look like for you to have life-giving relationships that are helping you move forward? God's word says that, that two are better than one because there's a good return on their labor. If one of them falls down, then the other person can help pick them up. So we looked at that. Or what does it look like for you to be the person that's helping lift someone else up? But in all of these things, it's a, a shift of our focus and our attention. So today we look at this idea of worship. And when we even say the word worship, there's this natural tendency for us to think of this small portion of our service that we just got done with, like this 15-minute portion at the beginning of service, or, or to limit it to that. But one person wrote it this way. They said that worship is a radically decentering experience. Because in that moment, in those opportunities to worship, we slow down and we are called in the midst of whatever we've brought into the room, in the midst of whatever we're doing, to shift the focus off of ourselves, to look towards something else, to, to start to recognize the fullness of life that's possible, not because of who we are, but because of who the Bible says that God is. And the opportunity that we have, the word worship comes from the combination of worth and ship, that it's like an acknowledgement of worth, that we are giving something esteem that we are giving something the honor and glory that deserves. In Psalms 29, it says this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Over and over, we see this call in Scripture to worship him, to honor him. But here's what we recognize, that all of us worship something. And it's not usually what we intend it to be. All of us worship or give esteem or give value or place something up on a pedestal. And we see that time after time after time that all around us, just the way that we live our lives, it's so natural. There's competing things that we have to focus on that we look towards. And so we're constantly going, okay, what is it that I'm placing on the throne of my life? It's one of the hardest things, I think, if you've made the decisions to follow Jesus, that, that we wrestle with over and over and over again. What does it look like for me to give the things that I want to honor and esteem? There's a a magazine called The Atlantic, and they wrote this fascinating article um, on, they called it The Gospel of Work. And here's what their premise was as they wrote this, and they studied the culture. Now, this is a, a secular uh, article, and they're just writing about what they're seeing around. One of the things they recognize is that the church itself is, is shrinking, that people are, are moving away from it, especially with the COVID pandemic and some of these things. And they've been watching that over the course of time, just the way that people are responding differently and the religious movements that are happening. But what they realized is they feel like people were shifting their focus the people were shifting their attention to this culture that they called workism. I want you to see this quote from the article. It says this, Some people worship beauty, some people worship political identities, and others worship their children, but everybody worships something. Again, secular article, recognizing that we all place things in value and positions of esteem. And workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. Now, for, for those of us that, that lean towards that, that that's your natural tendency, that's a convicting statement to start to process that and ask yourself, what are the things that I'm placing my value and my esteem on? So the question as we move through today is to ask yourself, what is it that you're worshiping? 
What is it that you are placing value in with your time, with your priorities, with your attention, with your finances, with all of those things? Maybe, maybe it's adventure, or maybe it's career success that you're pursuing it, or maybe it's family, or maybe uh, you know, it's, it's sports teams. When I first moved here a few years ago, uh, the, the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, it felt like every year for a couple years. You guys remember those, the glory years when I just first moved here. And, uh, and it felt like as you got towards January, there were so many people that were, were struggling with this tension because there was a Seahawks playoff game at the exact same time as church. And they're probably thinking, well, if I don't go to church, God's not going to let them win, right? So they're wrestling with that. And then we added Saturday service and like, oh, thank goodness, you know, it can change my whole life. I was from Arizona and I never had to worry about a playoff uh, game for the Cardinals competing with church because only one of those things was happening until recently. But you know that tension. That's like a, a kind of a silly example, but think about the things in your life that compete. The things in your life that, that fall on the exact same time. You have to go, okay, what am I going to prioritize? What am I naturally giving value and esteem to as I move through this season? And then to, to take that even further and recognize that it's so much more than these, these moments we have together where we sing, and it's an expression then of how we live our lives. And that's what I want you to put in the back of your mind as we move through the scripture today. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 95, if you want to turn there in your Bible. If you have your physical Bible with you, open to the middle and you'll probably land in Psalms. You'll be pretty close. Um, if you don't, that's okay. All the scriptures are going to be up on the screen. Or if you have our Bethany app, the scriptures are in there as well. But I want to walk through this writing, which is focused on, on the, the singing aspect of worship, but the way in which that guides us to this discipline that I want to look at. So let me read that. Psalm chapter nine, 95, we'll read verses 1 and 2 first. Come, let us sing for the joy of the Lord. Let us shout aloud for the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. I'm going to have you fill in a few blanks if you've got our app as we go and recognize some of the things we, we see here. But the first one is this, that we are commanded to worship. Everyone say commanded. Amen. Sound great. Okay. So here's, here's how we see that. It starts off, the writer here says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. The way that this is written, that word come, that first word is this idea of movement. Like, let's, let's walk. But it's written in the imperative. So from the very beginning, there's an urgency to this command that we're giving. That we would, we would move it. Like, let's go. It's like, this is a preparation, a calling to do something specific, to move towards this. This particular scripture, as we'll move through, you'll see why, was oftentimes used as a call to worship as people were gathering because it so clearly draws us in towards that. And then it goes on. There's this invitation to sing for joy, to shout aloud, to give thanks, this, this recognition that we have a reason in the midst of whatever we're going through to worship. And we'll look at that more later, but I want you to, to see this quote from A.W. Tozer. He said this. He's a theologian. He said, The world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of God on the outside. And the church is famishing for want of his presence. This hope and this prayer that we would experience his presence, that, that, that this idea of being called to worship, that there's a desire, that there is a pull towards that and recognizing that this might look different in every season of our life. 
Because you come into this room and we read the beginning of this scripture. And I don't know, I don't know how your week was. I don't know the pressure and the weight and the things that you bring in this room. But when you come in and you hear sing with thanksgiving, extol him. Maybe today you don't resonate with that. Today you resonate with the other Psalms that are about lament and pain and heartache. Within the community of our church right now, there are families that are hurting, there's sickness, there's disease, there's pain, and there's loss. And we have to recognize that in the midst of all of those seasons, there's a command to worship. But that worship, that expression might look different. In Psalms 34, it says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That maybe for you today, that is your prayer that God would be close to you, that you're feeling crushed in spirit, but you would still have that that drawing, that sense of urgency towards worship in him. The other beautiful part of these first few verses is the way in in which it's communal. We talked about how important community is. Bethany has been a relational church. We're we're over 100 years old. And and everyone I've talked to for the many, many years, we have some people who have been here for 50 or 60 years, and so this has always been a church that's relational that's about community, that's about relationships. I love how the psalmist writes this, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud the rock of our salvation, this concept that we are in this together. And we especially see that and like resonate with that when we come into this room, especially after the last couple years. Experience we've had where we missed that for months. And maybe you didn't know how important that was to you how uplifting that was to you to come into this room and to stand next to someone else and to unifiedly sing the same words to the same God and to join together in that. I remember at the end of last year when we had the opportunity to come back and do in-person Christmas Eve services. If you've never been here for a Christmas service, we tend to end all of our Christmas services almost the exact same way where we light a candle that represents Jesus And then everyone in the entire room lights their candle off that one candle. We sit here. And if you'll notice, the lights are are getting darker as the song goes on. And the band is actually getting quieter as they step back. And at the end of the song, it's just a group of people in this room singing Silent Night together. And it's beautiful. The lighting's beautiful. The truth is beautiful. And I remember standing in the back of the room and just thinking, like, man, I didn't realize how much I missed this. Like, how much I needed this. How much this is unifying because you're standing shoulder to shoulder with people that you might not even know, but we're singing this truth together, that we are commanded to worship. And we do, there's this urgency, regardless of the season we're in, and there's a communal aspect that makes it so beautiful. Let's continue in Psalm 95, verse three through five. It says this, for the Lord is the great God, the great God above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. As we we consider this idea of worship, we recognize this, that God is worthy of our worship. Everyone say worthy. Worthy. You guys are gonna help remember these as we go through. I love what the psalmist does here. Catch this. What he's doing is very intentional. He doesn't describe these passive attributes of a great God. But the way this is written, many theologians believe he is actually intentionally attacking some of the presuppositions that other people around him in his culture might have thought and experienced. 
this ancient Near Eastern parallels of the depths and the sea and the sea and the dry land, these separations that they would have seen as the responsibility of other gods. And instead, the psalmist says, no, every one of them is under his power. Every one of them is under his truth. The pharaohs of that time would have been considered gods. When he says he's the God above all other gods, all of these other things that you've placed value in, that you've placed trust in, that you've seen idols for, above all of those things is the God that we worship. Amen. And it's the foundation of of everything we do, that it's so much more because not only did God create the heavens and the earth, but we believe then through his divine intervention, he sent his son Jesus to walk on this earth, fully God and fully man. At the end of his life, he went to the cross and he died as a sacrifice for our sin. We just sang about this. A sacrifice for you and I. And then three days later, he defeated death and defeated the grave and now created an access point So the God we worship not only created the heavens and the earth, but it's more than that because he creates something new inside of us. Second Corinthians says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. That he is a powerful God, powerful enough to create the world and powerful enough to offer us so much more than the life that we live here, an eternal life, a full life, an abundant life in him, a transformational life in which we can live and achieve and experience things that we would never experience on our own, that he is worthy of our praise. And what I love about this is the way in which worshiping together gives us a language to express things that we might not otherwise express. If you've been a believer for a long time, you probably look back on certain songs over the course of your life that have just impacted you. Like they've stuck with you regardless of the season that you were in. And part of that for me is because there's words that I remember. Words that I would never say alone in my time with with Jesus, in my quiet time. They don't naturally come to mind. Think of a few of the lyrics we just sang in the song Pastor Ryan just taught. The wages of my sin is death. You knew I couldn't pay the debt. You paid it with your final breath. The beauty of, of, of similar words to the words of Paul in Romans and expressing that together unified. It goes on in one of the other verses. No sin is bigger than your blood. No shame is stronger than your love. You said that it is finished. It is done. It is not natural for us to remind ourselves that our shame doesn't exceed God's ability. Like that's not something we think. Maybe you came into this room and you're feeling that shame, that heartache, pain. You're saying, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've done. None of those things. And then we sing this song together that proclaims the truth above and beyond the shame that we feel. And it's something that we would never express on our own in the quiet of our own time with him. The beauty of these truths and the way in which they then express something biblical through us. And together, I have a a friend that was a worship leader and and he would say sometimes he sings because he wants to sing and sometimes he sings to want to sing. Meaning that there's times where he's not feeling it. There's times where, where when he starts to sing, when he sees the truth of the words that he is proclaiming, that it lifts him up, it encourages him. It is what he needs to help carry on. And I think our worship does that time after time after time. We recognize that he is worthy. Psalm 95 goes on. Come, let us bow down in worship. 
Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are, his, are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. We see in this language here that humility is the key to worship. One last one. Everyone say humility. humility. You guys are going to remember those if we keep saying those and we think about it. I, I said at the beginning, I don't believe that you can achieve life to the full on your own. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can do. It's not something that we can manufacture. There's this idea that worship at its core is an act of submission. It's an act of humility. It's an act of recognizing our place and God's goodness and God's worthy. And he expresses that in the the posture of kneeling and bowing down and worshiping all of those ways. And we humbly approach God. In the New Testament, the word used for worship oftentimes was proskuneo, which means like to kiss the hand of. That there's this submission, that there's this, this sacrifice, this reverence this humility. And then if we take that, so we, we think of those concepts of worship. We take that and understand that our worship is so much more than just what we do in this room. It extends out to the way in which we live our lives, the way in which we sacrifice time after time again. I want you to think of the adult leaders that went with to camp this week. My wife and I were talking, we went out there for one day for a couple hours. And on the drive out there, we were talking about how inconvenient it must be for them. How much of a sacrifice? They don't, they don't necessarily know uh, their schedule every single day. They don't know how good the food they're going to eat is going to be. Um, the only thing they probably do know is how late they're going to be up. Like, it's going to be very late. And think of yourself. Like, for me, I'm the guy that when I'm going to a hotel, I take my own pillow because it'll be more comfortable. <laughs> and then you've got all these leaders saying, I'm going to give up every single one of those comforts Because I want to help these kids experience Jesus. That is such a beautiful act of worship as we we recognize the humility, the sacrifice. And and that's our calling. And here's what I want you to to kind of catch as we look at this concept that worship is so much more. It's a posture of our life. And you can write this down if you're taking notes. Worship isn't something we do just one day a week, but it's how we live every day of the week. That that would be our hope. That that truth, even if we take that concept of worship as what we do together, the beauty of that, then we would extend it out into the other 167 hours we have every single week outside this building and recognize every one of those moments as worship. Romans 12 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship that offering our bodies as a sacrifice, the humility of that would be the act of worship that we live out each and every day in every environment that we go into. I had such a beautiful example for this when I was a kid. I don't even think I realized it, the way in which my parents served the people around us. My, my parents loved to serve. They loved uh, to do all of those things. They were, they were youth leaders as well. They never wanted to be in the spotlight. They were always behind the scenes, but it was something they were committed to. Every summer, they'd go with us to all of the trips. And I remember my dad was a construction worker, contractor. And so we'd go into these environments. One time we went into a spot in Little Rock, Arkansas, and we were helping this church that was, I think, building transitional housing and, and finished some projects. And he just loved it. He spent, he, he took time off work. I'm, I'm sure he paid his own way. He went and brought his own tools to help be a part of that and to just, to just have this impact on the community. At the end of the trip, 
we didn't finish the project we came there to do, and we didn't expect to. It was a huge project, and I remember the church didn't expect us to. My dad was talking to the guy for a long time, and he came back over, and I, was, I asked him, like, what were you guys talking about? He's like, well, we, we need to come back and finish this project. Like, we got to get it done. Classic contractor, you know, work ethic. He said, we need to get it done. And I was like, okay, you know, we'll come back maybe next summer when everyone comes back. He's like, no, we're coming back in a couple of weeks. I just booked it with him. <laughs> I was like, he didn't ask me, um, but I went with. <laughs> and uh, him, myself, and I think two other buddies went with. And my dad's like, no, no, we're going to come back. And I'm sure that was a choice that he made and, and at his expense. And it was something that my parents were just passionate about. They just wanted to live their lives in a way that, that was, was worshiping and honoring. And so we recognize then that if that's how we live, then we have this opportunity to worship in so many different ways. Like we have this opportunity to worship through how we serve the people around us, how we love the people around us. Pastor Ryan just talked about giving, how we give. The, the world says that when you give to a group that's a nonprofit, what you're doing is you're taking your hard-earned money, the thing that you got with all of your energy and your effort, and you're choosing who's worthy of taking your resources. And what we recognize is that everything that we have is a gift. And so when you give, you're just giving back. You're expressing that. You are honoring God and you are worshiping in a powerful way that every one of those ways would be an act of worship. And here's the beautiful part. Church, I want you to catch this. That when we do that, and when we do that well, then that is a witness to the world around us. That's a witness for people to see the work of God within us expressed in all of these beautiful ways. In just a few weeks, we're going to do something called Live to Give that we did last year as well. And Live to Give is an opportunity to simply do that, to go out into the community and say, hey, we're going to serve. We're going to love people. We're going to do all of these different things as an act of worship. And through that, the people in our community would see that there's something different that there's a purpose behind it, that there's an intention behind it, that we are serving a worthy God, that we're commanded to worship, and that God is worthy of worship, and there's humility in the way in which we submit to him and take the focus off of ourselves. That if we, we look at this series as a whole and all of the different things we've processed if you've been sticking with us, the hope would be this, that the key to a full life, the debt, the requirement, the payment for a full life has already been paid. We just have to choose to step into that. And oftentimes we have to choose to step into that over and over and over again because it's so natural for us to get distracted. It's so natural for us to start to place other things at the level of importance. It's so natural for us to start to worship or honor or esteem all of these other things. And God says, Give me your attention. Give me your focus. Pursue me and everything else will be given to you. And that is our hope in how we worship. So yes, there's power when we gather together and we do that together. But there's also power when we're sent out to do that in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our communities. So here's how we're going to end this time together. We're going to do something called communion. And I love this, this act of communion because it's a reminder of the debt that was paid for us. It's a reminder as we remember this truth, and it's such a beautiful way for us to kind of reset and refocus on worship and humility and the sacrifice that's already been paid. If you didn't grab the elements on the way in, we have those available in the back for you to grab them, grab them. but here's what God's word says. It says every time we do this, 
We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That we remind ourselves of the sacrifice. Maybe you've been a believer for 30, 40, 50 years. Our hope would be that every time that you do this, you're reminded of the truth of who God is, the ways in which he's worked in your life, the things that he's brought you through, the power that he has to transform and the ways in which he's been faithful. Or maybe you're here and you're just trying to understand what this is all about. And here's what I'd say to you. If this is the first time you've heard that gospel, if you want to ask more questions, if you want to understand that better, myself or one of our pastors would love to talk to you, Pastor Stu, Pastor Ryan. If you're watching online, you can message us. We want to help you make that decision. We believe that's the most important decision you could make today is to step into that relationship with a God that is worthy of our praise. So in a moment, we're going to give you a time to reflect and just reflect on what this means in your life. And you don't have to be a member of Bethany to take communion with us. Our only question would be only do this if you've made the decision to follow Jesus. That's our only request. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to have you take the the elements during this next song, but I want to take a moment of just quiet time. A moment where you could think about what this means. You can reflect. Maybe there's something stirring inside of you. Maybe there's something you're you're processing. Maybe there's something God's put on your heart. But I want to give you moments with just heads bowed across this room and watching online and just reflect quietly. Let's take a moment now.